Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, Jason Modlin. Jason, welcome to this week's show. Kim, it's great to be with you. Well, you know, Jason, uh, you come on the show once a month. Uh, We talk a lot about what your organization is working on. And so I want to lead in with that. You guys have a big sold-out show that's happening. So tell us a little bit about uh, your show. It's an annual event uh, for you guys. And uh, who's scheduled to be there as far as your lineup? And what do you hope to uh, cover on the topics that your uh, speakers will be covering? Absolutely. So September 14th and 15th, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers will be at the Hotel Drover in the historic uh, Fort Worth Stockyards. We've got really a fantastic uh, program that we've put together for our members Um, and uh, a a good problem to have. It it is sold out. And so uh, uh, we're we're bursting at the seams, but excited to be there. Um, uh, we'll lead off with uh, a, a great interview with uh, Case Van Hoff, the, the uh, new president of Diamondback Energy. Really excited to, to sit down and talk with him. Uh, after that, we've got a, a great panel of uh, economists and really uh, people focused on the trade of energy. Um, and that's going to be with uh, Sean Strawbridge, the, the CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, Dean Foreman, uh, the American Petroleum Institute's chief economist, and then our own petroleum economist, Carr Ingham. We follow that up with uh, a guest you've had a number of times on the program, Ann Bradbury from American Exploration and Production Council. Uh, she'll also be joined uh, with a federal lobbyist that uh, frequently helps us and a number of other trade associations uh, on the Hill, uh, Chris Kearney. And then uh, our, kind of our last uh, uh, panel program is uh, a good, uh, we, we've kind of dubbed it the Young Guns. This is a young producers, uh, Cody Campbell with Double Eagle Energy um, and uh, Brian Sheffield, uh, now with Formentera Energy uh, out of Austin, uh, but previously with, with Parsley Energy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, we, we close that out, uh, uh, hearing from them on, on kind of their perspectives on production, big challenges facing uh, uh, producers here in Texas and nationally. And then we go to a keynote lunch address um, from Alex Epstein, uh, famed uh, author and uh energy philosopher and so we're, we're excited to kind of get his uplifting message uh he'll also be joined with uh railroad commission chairman wayne christian and so we'll hear a little bit about wayne's uh work and efforts at the railroad commission you know ultimately this is a, a pivotal time in the world and in our nation um we're seeing uh energy crisis play out in europe um in asia uh, in California and in Texas. Um, uh, frankly, these uh, highly advanced developed economies are experiencing price shocks from uh, energy shortages, energy scarcity, 
Um, and that is anathema to us as Texans. Uh, we're the energy capital of the world. We should be leading on these issues. Same with the United States. Uh, uh, and, and frankly, the, the same goes for uh, uh, those countries that I that, and those regions that I listed off. Um, and then we also have three billion people in this world that need energy. Uh, we've got a developing world that is desperate uh, to advance their economies. And um, unfortunately, the only lifeline right now that's being uh, extended to these countries is uh, coal, Chinese coal in particular. Mm -hmm. And so if there is actual concern uh, with the environment, and, and, and we think there is, that, that we should always be striving to do things uh, cleaner and better and more efficient, um, then, then we need to come to some basic truths. And those are that we need to get the world off of Chinese coal, um, that we need to not uh, have our advanced economies facing blackouts, brownouts, and it, it, these exorbitant, excessive uh, price spikes. Um, and, and, and there are opportunities to work together on those issues. Um, but if uh, we're going to continue to demonize oil and gas uh, or make this claim that we're going to be able to transition off of oil and gas uh, in 10 years, 15 years, um, that, 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 that's simply not the case. We, we need uh, more energy resources. Um, we don't need less. Um, and so uh, it, it's it, it'll be exciting time to get together those um, very knowledgeable, uh, very passionate advocates in the space, um, uh, mix them up with with lots of independent uh, Texas oil and gas producers and and really uh, uh, small family run operations that um, live and breathe this every day. That's what they believe in. That's what they bring home with them. Um, and that's what they want to pass on to their families. And so uh, that's kind of the passion that drives us to the Alliance and, and uh, what we're really excited about seeing next week. Well, you know, Jason, it's a sold out event. So if they didn't get their tickets, I'm sorry, folks, but you can't go. But you are going to video it uh, or it's going to be taped and it can be seen at a later date. We'll, we'll be covering some of the excerpts from your event. But I think the important thing that I want to recognize is, you know, really the fact that you know, your association really focuses on a lot of the independence. And a lot of these policies that are coming out from the Biden administration, uh, specifically from, you know, basically canceling the, the XL Keystone Pipeline day one, has been pretty much uh, there for us to see that this administration definitely has put um, uh, oil and gas in the crosshairs of this needs to change, and they're pushing every lever they can to uh, demonize it and stop it. But like the redheaded stepchildren in the middle is the American consumer. And as a result of it, they're the ones, we are the ones paying the price. So with your association, your members, the smaller independent operators, oil and gas operators, uh, you know, I want to understand through the show, you know, what is the fallout for them potentially as the large operators are going to probably be fine as they make the transition into energy transition? What is it for them? Uh, you know, what's the outcome for them? And how worried are they? And then also the uh, the consumer, you know, what are we facing? Because it seems like there's a lot, you, you made it, you made it seem very, uh, you, you, you said it nicely in a sense of laying it out. However, there's a lot of craziness going on that I, I want to get to like the BlackRock response to uh, our comptroller here in Texas, what, what came out of that. 
um, and a lot of other policies that are happening that just make no sense. But I want to start with your keynote speaker, Alex Epstein, who uh, has written a couple of books, um, and he really makes a lot of sense on one of my favorite from him is The Moral Case for for Fossil Fuels. It really breaks down the importance of oil and gas, how it actually, we need it. It sustains life, it cleans the planet, and yet it's been demonized, especially by the Democrat Party and this administration. So um, some of the talking points that he recently released is that the American grid is on decline, and it's far worse now due to the policies of the Biden administration specifically. Um, And I want to talk about it because we are right around the corner from uh, the midterms. And it's important that our listeners understand what's at stake. So the first point he points out is reliable, unreliable energy. We're going to cover that in a minute. Prematurely shutting down coal plants and then criminalizing nuclear as well as forcing us to uh, use EV uh, or electric vehicle cars and making that transition. So... You know, there's a lot going on in Europe right now. Uh, They are basically taking an approach kind of like COVID. They want to shut down uh, their consumers' ability to use um, energy at their thermostats. Um, And and, and we look at that and we look at what's happening in California that uh, their governor uh, and and Alex talks about it in in an article he released, how a state with virtually um, no energy is forcing their population, California specifically, to run on electric cars, but they're also limiting that too. So a lot of this is not making sense. How are we going to do this as consumers? How, how, uh, how is the government projecting that this is going to run smoothly? Maybe we're already seeing some of the outcomes of that it's not going to run smooth, but I want to start with renewable, uh, rewarding, unreliable energy. Let's start with Texas first. We have a lot of wind turbines. You see them all over the state, uh, a lot of solar. And I'm not demonizing them. I'm just trying to figure out why is Texas, uh, why have, why are we so heavily dependent on that when we're a state with an abundance of natural gas and oil? Yeah, I mean, let me start there. You made a comment that California doesn't have energy resources. They have an abundant amount of energy resources. They do. They're just not uh, accessing in the ground. Them. <laughs> they're in, it, absolutely in Kern County, and they like New York, like Venezuela, um, like like other areas around the world have decided that we don't want to access those energy resources anymore and, and want to transition away from that. And, and so to your point on wind and solar here in Texas, uh, there are some windy parts of the state uh, 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 on the coast, uh, uh, Abilene, uh, the Panhandle, um, and those are tremendous opportunities uh, to catch the wind. Um, the federal government bankrolls uh, uh, that, and, um, and, and so that's been the opportunity. Right. We are an energy only market. And um, when you've got the federal government picking up the tab, um, it has attracted a a, a lot of new investment in the state um, to bring down those federal dollars and and build that out. Um, The the risk, you know, when it was five, 10 percent of our electric mix. Well, that's not that greater risk. Um, we certainly had a lot of congestion issues um, uh, five and 10 years ago, and we still experience congestion issues um, that lead to very dramatic price increases um, when 
when wind is high and when wind is very low. Um, but those were isolated, mm-hmm. right? Um, now we're, we're to a point where we're getting very close to, um, to a tipping point where we have a majority of renewables um, and, and no way to have a backup infrastructure that is robust enough uh, to come on at a moment's notice if a cloud passes overhead or the wind stops blowing. Correct. And, and yeah. that's that's really where policymakers, um, hopefully, um, are 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 taking a hard look at how, how do we cover that unreliable mix, that mm-hmm. non-dispatchable mix, uh, when it gets to that tipping point. Okay. Look, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to pick this back up because I think that it's important for us to remember the snowstorm that happened in February. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, your group, uh, its main mission is to lobby for or help help educate our uh, elected officials to how important oil and gas is to the the country, as well as here in Texas. You were talking about um, we're at kind of at a tipping point where we're looking at we're using a lot of uh, renewables, solar and wind, along with oil and gas. And we're at that tipping point where this session, uh, I think, is a going to be a really important moment for the for our elected officials to look and see what is the future are we going to rely on this because uh, take us back to february when we had the snowstorm and everybody in texas remembers this snowstorm took out the entire state and these were not so reliable wind turbines their uh, motors froze up and solar weren't working because they were covered with ice that doesn't make them bad it just makes them unreliable at this moment so if we have where we one storm away and and also so what is the 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 solution that the legislators need to look at this session so we avoid that since we're close to a tipping point and what is y'all's plan as the lobbying group for oil and gas to advocate yeah so for, i mean first of all our primary mission is advancing independent operators uh and the standards of the oil and gas industry and and one of the one of the customers uh, of the oil and gas industry in Texas is uh, the electricity uh, mix, the, the generators that are in the state um, and, and, and their ability uh, to access uh, dry natural gas uh, to spin turbines and, and create electricity. And, and, and really what we see is a need for more generation. Um, and unfortunately, the only uh, new additions uh, into the energy mix here in Texas is coming from wind and solar. Uh, there is a small portion of batteries that are coming online. Uh, and, hydrogen. And, and batteries are, no, hydrogen's not there yet for, for electricity. Um, uh, really, uh, hydrogen is going to be in, in, in potentially other areas. Uh, of industry industrial activity that are that are uh, hard to decarbonize and so hydrogen uh, has some excitement there but but really we're talking about the electric grid and the electric grid doesn't use oil here in in texas uh certainly other countries uh, uh rely on heating oil 
um, and and oil for uh, their electric mix. But here in Texas, it's about 45% um, natural gas. Um, and then you get into a, a, a number of uh, uh, smaller resources. So 20 to 25% coal, 20 to 25% renewables, um, and, and then uh, uh, about 10% nuclear um, uh, renewables is made up of hydropower, of wind, of solar, um, and, and of kind of that battery mix. And so um, that, that those are the primary feedstocks. And how big does that wind and solar component get um, when you know that you are going to potentially need a backstop if that drops off? Um, and so I, that that's really the question before policymakers this session is uh, the Public Utility Commission is engaged in finding solutions there. Um, they found that the energy only market when the federal government uh, is is dumping a lot of money into renewables uh, is distorted. Um, it's it's creating distortions. And so what is their solution to potentially fix those issues? Um, it, 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 it likely involves setting aside some funds to make sure that natural gas, coal, nuclear um, are one, able to continue operating, uh, which is a major concern for coal, um, uh, given the environmental limitations, uh, given um, investor concerns, ESG pressures, things of that nature. Um, uh, but then two, are we gonna be able to add we continue to have a thousand people a day moving to the state. We continue to want to attract capital investment and industrial activity to this state. We've mentioned Europe several times on the show today. Europe has told factories they cannot expand and they cannot operate um, uh, certain times of, of the year. Um, that is nowhere where we want to be in Texas. Um, uh, and then, you know, we've, we've poked fun at California but they're moving to entirely electric vehicles. Yes. Um, but yeah. if if your electric vehicle can't be charged uh, during the day, um, you know, what is that going to require in terms of build out for homes? Mm -hmm. um, and an electric car uses far more energy than uh, uh, air conditioners uh, for homes. And so you know, we're, we're right back to the problem square one of we need more energy. Um, Elon Musk has said we need to triple the amount of generation in this country in order to achieve, uh, uh, you know, fully renewable uh, uh, or, or not renewable, but electric vehicle saturation. Um, we have no way to do that. That, that. There's there's not a physical way to do that in this country without adding across the board, natural gas, coal, nuclear, um, and, and, and the uh, alternatives, wind, solar, and hydro. And I think, you know, the consumer is already understanding something's not right here. Just everything is higher, inflation, uh, groceries are up. Uh, finally, gas went down, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later on the show as to why. But when you mention Electric Vehicles Texas, give me an update. We don't really have any infrastructure to get you from one part of the state to the other using a Tesla or another electric vehicle. How long do you think? No, I, th I, I think that's changed a lot lately. I mean, one, the infrastructure package, <laughs> we, we talk again about federal government dumping money. I mean, okay. they've put a lot of money into charging stations. So You're can you get from one end of the state a, a to network. the other? Okay. 
you're starting to see a pretty good network along 35 and along I-10. Now, you know, those are great spots to travel along. We have a lot of areas in the rest of the state, right? Um, and so uh, this was the same problem with the with the interstate highway system. Are you, are, are you going to cut off certain parts of this state um, and they will be inaccessible? Um, uh, you know, that, uh, or uh, where I come from, I came from Houston. Uh, occasionally, we need to be able to evacuate and deal with the challenges that come with hurricanes. And uh, there's always long lines of cars to get out of the way. Um, w what's that going to look like uh, when it's not just a gallon of gas that you need to move a car, uh, but you need a generator? Oh, you need a tow you brought truck. Up something. You need other <laughs> You brought up something. You're from little... Corpus. You, you have the same concern. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's mind-boggling to think that we would be um, looking at the same thing in California. Jason, we're going to take a quick break. I want to get back, though, on the topic of – so ESG is now coming in and playing uh, a major role as well, especially here in Texas. I want you to give us uh, a breakdown of what's happening here with ESG. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, um, last week, our comptroller, Glenn Hager, um, actually um, made the news on releasing a report in which he listed companies that um, he felt had uh, were punishing the oil and gas company by not financing them. Uh, and the list, one of the uh, financial institutions was BlackRock, a very large and well-respected uh, financial institution. Um, and they have trillions, billions of dollars in uh, pension funds, very conservative pension funds that affect teachers' unions, very large unions here in the state of Texas. And while I won't go into the whole backdrop of what um, you know, which companies were on it, BlackRock was. They recently released their um, response to 19 U.S. state attorney generals that uh, released a report uh, that was basically a letter signed saying that they were uh, engaging in not financing the oil and gas industry and basically kind of picking the winners and losers of who they're going to finance. And a lot of them happen to be uh, the greener type of new energies. Um, and so we, we get to this... Uh, point where ESG, which is Environmental Social Governments, is is basically taking um, place in our federal government, our state governments, and it's really a push on investment strategies to try to help grow the greener environment and and picking that they're going to finance these uh, greener new type of energy sources that are coming on along with not really financing oil and gas projects. And we definitely need those. So it goes back to, we're talking about uh, lack of investment in infrastructure. This is what Alex Epstein was talking about. So uh, tell us what was the fight between the comptroller of Texas, BlackRock and the other uh, institutions that were on there. And where do you see this going here in Texas specifically? Will it be something that the legislators will pick up this session? Well, uh, first of all, this came from legislation that uh, was passed last year in 2021 uh, and ultimately signed by Governor Abbott 
uh, and really said, we, we are not going to reward um, these institutions that uh, are, are harmful to oil and gas uh, and malicious towards oil and gas um, with uh, contracts uh, for state investments and, and state pension uh, management funds. Uh, BlackRock objected to that designation, um, and, and I suspect that uh, they'll make the case uh, it, twofold. One, that, that uh, they, in fact, shouldn't be on that list uh, and, and seek to be removed. Um, but then, two, that um, uh, the loss of that service uh, will will harm the state and, and that um, ultimately those pension funds uh, should seek an exception uh, from the law, which was uh, authorized by, by the legislature that they specifically did not want to harm pensioners. Um, but also uh, we're, we're very clear that they did not want to reward these financial institutions. Uh, look, look I take it back to my initial comments. We are in an energy crisis. Um, the uh, uh, United Kingdom has said that they are going to hold uh, uh, prices flat for folks, uh, um, their citizens. And then what they're going to do on top of that is uh, finance um, the difference. Um, they're going to borrow excessive amounts in order to make sure that people are are warm and safe in their homes this year as as everyone needs to make sure that there's available resources in place. Um, and and yet BlackRock's sole focus um, uh, seems to be on, uh, on on climate change and avoiding these other issues. And um, I think it's been said a number of times by state uh, attorneys general, um, uh, but then also by leadership here in the state that uh, when we have fiduciary responsibility uh, in these companies, um, uh, it, it, it can't be entirely one-sided. Um, they can't go to the state of California or the state of New York and say, we promise that we will phase out oil and gas in our economy with our investments, um, and then come to Texas and say, look at all our, of our investments in oil and gas. Uh, we are not boycotting um, uh, they're, they're, they're not, they're not holding truthful to, to one of the parties there. Um, and so, uh, the state of Texas said, said, <laughs> we're, we're not going to continue, uh, to reward that type of behavior, uh, with the state contract. Well, you know, ultimately I, I hope they, they, they show some leadership here and talk about our global economy and some of the risk if there's underinvestment in traditional oil and gas. Well, it is estimated that ESG has taken 90% of investments off the table for reliable energy. And when you we talk about reliable energy, we're talking about oil and gas. So something doesn't sound right here. Jason, let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about the Permian Basin. There's some really great things happening there. The show isn't all <laughs> negative. Let's switch gears and talk about uh, what the Permian is contributing to the state of Texas. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modlin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, we've had <laughs> most of the show has been built around a lot of the insane uh, energy policies or lack of really good policy energy policies that make good sense for uh, 
the consumer as well as the environment. It just kind of uh, doesn't make sense uh, what we're doing versus what we need. But I want to switch gears because, you know, here in Texas, we are very fortunate to have an abundance of oil and natural gas, specifically in the area of Permian Basin, one of the largest basins. Um, Recently, there was a report that came out that Permian Basin is contributing $153 billion and over 700,000 jobs to the U.S. economy. These are very, very big numbers, and it also is, um, you know, the this is according to the Permian, uh, the, the the Perryman Group, and uh, the Permian Basin Strategic Partnerships Partnership, which we're a partner of. Um, tell me a little bit about, give us an update on what's happening in the Permian Basin, and how are they responding, your members, to uh, a lot of the um, policies that are in place, and how are they still managing to make a buck and continue to to provide the world the energy uh, resources that we need? Well, it it continues to be just a remarkable story that the Permian Basin is the world's most prolific basin, um, uh, exceeding Saudi Arabia, exceeding uh, uh, other areas of the globe. Um, And it's really due to some some remarkable rock there, um, but also the people. Uh, uh, that really have uh, uh, continued to lead uh, and lead both both Texas, uh, uh, but then also the world. Um, uh, Tracy's group, the Permian Strategic Partnership, uh, did a fantastic report uh, with Ray Perryman, um, and, and we continue to see uh, just just glowing things, both from uh, the Railroad Commission and, and then the State Comptroller uh, about all of the opportunities there. Um, uh, so, what are the differences in the rest of the in the rest of the United States? Well, one, it's largely private land uh, on the Texas side of things. Uh, um, on the New Mexico side, uh, uh, there's been a rush um, in order to uh, make sure that, that completion and production can take place there uh, prior to new regulations that are that are being proposed and, and potentially imposed um, by this administration um, and and just overall record production on both sides of the border. Um, uh, and, and thankfully we've been blessed. Um, over the past few years with lots of investment in pipelines. Um, uh, and, and really the only constraining factor uh, right now is, is people and available crews. Um, and so um, uh, for, for young people, it's a tremendous opportunity um, uh, to start at the, at the ground level, um, uh, either driving a truck or being a deckhand, uh, or, or, or being, um, you know, in kind of the service side of things, um, because the, the Permian Basin is such an important national security um, element uh, uh, for our nation, but then, but then for uh, all allies. Um, and so uh, for all of the folks out there, the producers, um, uh, and then it, a, a number of the associations out there, whether it's the Permian Strategic Partnership, whether it's the Permian Basin Petroleum Association, mm-hmm. um, uh, just just a, a phenomenal group of folks uh, that are dedicated to meeting the world's energy needs. Um, and, and unfortunately, they're being demonized uh, quite a bit by folks in Washington, by folks in New York um, that think that, that we can turn away. Um, and, and I think, um, hopefully people wake up to that, but that's not where they, they want to see us head. Um, uh, they're certainly going to 
continue to get up really early in the morning uh, and, and get out to those rigs uh, and continue to set record production levels. The Permian Basin bounced back so much quicker than the rest of the state um, and, and the rest of the nation uh, in terms of overcoming COVID um, and really ramping back up production. If they had not done what they had done, um, uh, we would really be, be hurting. In, in so much. Yes, yes, uh, uh, quite a bit. Our allies uh, overseas, Europe, mm-hmm. uh, would be even worse off, uh, um, uh, would not have topped off uh, their natural gas storage uh, in time uh, for this Nord Stream uh, cutoff. Um, and and, Correct. and, and, and the temperature is starting to dip. Yes, absolutely. And I want to talk about that in, in Washington, D.C., but I also want to just give some numbers of Permian Basin because it, it's remarkable. $11.8 billion in 2021 tax revenue collection alone. Uh, their job was uh, five, 508,000 new jobs, $1.9 billion in uh, 2022 for mineral uh, revenue contributions to the Texas Public University Fund. Then there's also a contribution to $3.58 billion to the Texas State Highway Fund in 20, that's scheduled for 2023, and $3.5 billion in the Texas Rainy Day Fund for 2023, the highest recorded. Quickly, tell me about the Texas Rainy Day Fund, because I want our listeners to understand this affects you, too, in a very great way. So we got to be careful when we talk about oil and gas that it's not good. No, it's actually really good. It's really good for you because everything you use and everything that you eat and everything is a derivative of oil and gas. And here's another example. The Texas Rainy Day Fund. What is that, Jason? Well, uh, the legislature uh, in the in the 1980s, really thinking oil and gas was going away, said, uh, if we ever have another boom, uh, uh, dear God, I will not waste it. And uh, they said that they will put uh, any any excess tax revenues into uh, this economic stabilization fund, this rainy day fund. And uh, for 20 years, it it maybe got up to a billion dollars. Um, now the fund is approaching $13 billion. It's a remarkable sum of money. We'll continue to have a substantial amount of inflows. And what has the legislature done with it? They've used it to shore up our highways. They've used it to shore up public education. They've uh, helped pensioners, teachers, state employees. Um, they've used it for water infrastructure in this state to really build out uh, and make us more resilient to droughts. Um, it is uh, a far and away uh, one of the most visionary uh, uh, uses of oil and gas um, that that we see in this country. Um, we hope that legislators don't squander it, uh, um, that really it should be focused on covering liabilities um, and making sure that this state can continue uh, to thrive um, but uh, uh, kudos to uh, good management uh, by the state, uh, those visionary leaders in the, in the 80s and 90s for thinking about uh, we might want this uh, down the road someday. And it has certainly helped uh, teachers, students, everyone in the state of Texas um, uh, cover, cover the costs that we've seen in our growth over the past uh, decade. Very, very good example of how the oil and gas Uh, community helps the state of Texas. When we come back, I want to end our show with bringing it back to what's happening uh, in Ukraine and Russia and the announcement that they, uh, Russia's going to stop 
providing energy to uh, Europe, as well as fast-tracking what's happening with the Mansion bill and for his vote to approve the Infrastructure uh, Reduction Act, um, what's happening with the promise that they made to him to help him with his pipelines. You're listening to an Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, let's end the show with an update of what's coming out of Washington, D.C. You guys are also very, very heavily involved. Do not let the name Texas Alliance of Energy Producers fool you. You guys have your finger on the pulse in D.C. as well. Um, first of all, let's let's talk about um, Joe Manchin's uh, vote that first he was not going to approve the Build Back Better uh, bill and that went away and the new Infrastructure Reduction Act came in and he agreed to play ball with uh, his fellow Democrats in, in the sense of let's uh, look at how we can uh, create legislation that really helps the infrastructure. And part of that was that he was promised that there would be some significant changes pertaining to infrastructure, specifically pipelines. And now that the bill has passed, the Infrastructure Reduction Act, um, and we're all seeing what's in it and how it's going to apply into uh, the energy sector as well as renewables, um, I want to talk about Manchin's plan um, on trying to get his infrastructure through. Give us an update on on what's happening there and how likely is it that he's going to succeed with what was promised to him? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. He, I mean, he negotiated the Inflation Reduction Act uh, in order to uh, do, do a couple of things. One, uh, to kind of close out uh, Democrats' push uh, for prescription drugs and, and for uh, a number of these kind of tax revenue items uh, that they were working on. Um, they also had a number of environmental uh, items in there that um, – uh, are going to affect the oil and gas industry and consumers in different ways. But, but part of the uh, agreement that uh, Senator Manchin, Senator Schumer, and Speaker Pelosi negotiated is that um, there would be a subsequent bill on permitting reform. And I, I think everyone points to the main uh, uh, focus uh, for a senator from West Virginia is to complete uh, the Mountain Valley Pipeline. This is a, uh, a gas pipeline out of West Virginia into the state of Virginia uh, that will ultimately uh, both serve the state of Virginia, uh, but then potentially other jurisdictions um, in the Northeast. Um, and and um, it's a primary focus for his state, uh, for producers, for landowners, um, and, and certainly something that Senator Manchin has been passionate about. Um, it is an open question whether this permitting uh, reform bill, one, is robust enough um, to get uh, bipartisan agreement on. Uh, Kim, we've talked a number of times over the years about uh, energy is not a partisan issue. It should not be a partisan issue. And yet uh, we do have activists uh, in the Democratic Party that want to uh, reduce our energy re- resources, want to stop oil and gas, want to stop pipelines. Um, and, and so uh, uh, we, we don't want them uh, to have the majority and have the control of the Democratic Party. Uh, we certainly want uh, business, business-minded, uh, sensible 
uh, uh, Democrats uh, um, to, to, to really have uh, the driver's seat for, for that party. Um, it remains an open question of whether this, this bill will pass. Uh, do Republicans come on board uh, and support this effort, even though it seems like it's fairly limited? Um, uh, do House progressives, which have said we were not a party to that uh, uh, agreement, um, do they bolt? Um, and, and is that enough, uh, to prevent this bill from passing? Um, uh, you know, ultimately it would be a real shame if a substantial permitting reform bill does not pass. Um, and, and I can say that from the oil and gas industry perspective. Um, but then, um, we've touched on it a few times, e even the folks in the wind and solar industry and in water infrastructure, um, are having challenges when you have multiple years of bureaucratic red tape, uh, when you have constantly shifting standards, um, when you have uh, uh, new uh, lizards and other types of creatures pop up and immediately that uh, requires new rounds of reviews and delays. And we can't build the infrastructure that we need uh, to advance our economy, mm -hmm. uh, but also to help our allies uh, if we are constantly going to be uh, uh, stopping these types of infrastructure efforts. And that is in no way to discount the important environmental reviews, the important endangered species reviews that absolutely do need to take place for these projects. Right. Um, but let's get let, let, let's do it sensibly. Let's have a, a particular time period uh, where uh, capital can can rely on um, the federal government's not trying to kill this project. And, and unfortunately, that is uh, the direction that environmental activists are wanting to move to. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, some that are in this administration, they want to stop pipelines. They want to stop transmission lines. Um, uh, you know, sometimes they want to stop uh, wind and solar projects uh, if, it, if it affects um, uh, you know, um, parties that they're more sympathetic to. And so I, that, that is a tremendous challenge that um, uh, all energy advocates have uh, and hopefully all parties, uh, both parties, uh, should, should come together on that reform. I agree with you. Give me an update on what's happening. Uh, we have an announcement that came out. Uh, Russia has now cut the amount of gas it's going to send to Europe by shutting down its key Nordstrom One pipeline for the second time in recent months. And they're saying it's due to, um, of course, repairs. But this is probably intentional. But how much worse does this make Europe's energy problem? And, and should we not be paying attention to, are we heading that same way too? Because they also switches they were going to go to the renewables and completely cut off oil gas uh, and nuclear and look at where they are now they seem to be in a mess quickly tell me what are your thoughts on this situation well you're absolutely right Russia has has announced that they are closing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline indefinitely uh, they they started with a maintenance outage um, uh, but have now indicated that there's no um, uh, likely timeline for when they turn that back on until they see um, the continent of Europe really commit uh, to allowing them uh, to invade Ukraine um, and not have any oil sanctions in place uh, uh, for Russia. Um, and just a report this past week that, that was truly alarming for environmental activists is that uh, the country of Russia was flaring 
up to $10 million a day in gas uh, that otherwise would have flowed in the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Um, it's just, it, it is an awful story to see play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it is entirely because um, the country of Germany and other countries became so heavily reliant on Russia and yet also want to uh, oppose their efforts in Ukraine, also want to impose uh, oil sanctions on you them. Don't get, um, you don't get everything you want. You, you know, you need to think right. about these things. And that's exactly why I want to leave the show with. We need to start thinking about the things, that, who we are putting in office. I'm going to leave the show with, <laughs> there, Jason, just because I think it's important that if you don't like what's happening right now, your only one thing to do is go out and vote. And I do wish you very, very much success at your uh, conference next week. I'm glad it's sold out, and we look forward to covering it uh, post-conference here on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you, Jason, for being a guest. Thank you, Kim. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.